The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm joined today, like I am, you know, on every news episode by my co-host. Yo, what up? It's Dan. Yeah, I don't know what that was. That was a weird, awkward intro by me. I wasn't, I didn't have any witty idea ready, and then I paused like, is there anything I can do to spice up? the intro for Dan and the answer is just no I got nothing today mm. sometimes you have something sometimes you don't I don't know what to tell you man yeah the one thing I definitely have is relief after getting over what I can to my memory is the first cold I've had in like two or three years and it was just weird when I got it like a few days ago and I was like oh this is a cold this is a normal cold this feels like a normal cold. I'm going to sneeze a bit for two days. I'm going to have a slightly sore throat. And then it's going to be gone. There's, I'm not going to lose my taste. There's not going to be some bizarre feeling of achiness. And it's just so funny how different a cold feels compared to getting COVID. How obvious it is. Like, it almost felt good. It almost felt good to feel a normal sickness again. <laughs> I have... I can't speak to that because i have somehow still avoided getting covid but now are you genuinely surprised you haven't gotten it once i have been working in person since may of 2020 so yes yeah and i work of course at, at home with very little contact outside of of course you know extracurricular activities like on the weekends with friends or something um it's so weird to call it that extracurricular activities with friends it's like i'm 12 years old yeah, I mean, I guess all that has to, for me, that says the protocols that we've had on campus have worked. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, ma uh, the masks are coming off at work now and stuff. So, and there still hasn't been a huge outbreak, but, you know, like 98% of the campus is vaccinated. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a good time. Yeah, I would say, I will say I was reading around and there are numerous reports of, super colds going around now that everybody is going outside again maskless just you know i remember at the start of this pandemic people talking about how hey flu cases and cold cases are just completely plummeting maybe we'll kill those off nope <laughs> no that's probably unrealistic there there's too many there's too many strains of cold to ever go away and an animal reservoirs exist for the flu so they're gonna be there forever Unfortunately. That'd be a good band name, Animal Reservoirs. Yeah, I'll go start that quick. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Melodic Warrior writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon, and he says, save this for a news episode in parentheses. Okay, well, we did. 
Today, I met two people who are fans of your content. The first was a client of mine who is going to school. He is studying computer engineering, and he said your content is helping him understand what is coming down the pipe from a design per point of view. He has already found it useful in, his, in classwork. The other person was someone I met through my sister's friend. On all the content, at least in the premium and professional spaces, definitely having a large reach, I find. I'm even finding that in recent times, my dad is asking questions, and he is an electrical engineer by trade. The future is bright, and I'm certain the best is yet to come for this channel. <laughs> P.S. I'm amused when I tell my friends and viewers that in real life, I'm actually a mod for this team. Their reaction is always <laughs> stunned and priceless. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're helping people with computer science homework somehow. Yeah, I know. I've I, I've run into one person who recognized me. That was a while ago, though. I do know one of my friends, Drew, said that once he was sent a link by a friend on a graphics cards coming out, and it was one of my videos, and Drew's like, yeah, I know that guy. I saw him last week. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, that's my friend. <laughs> like my friend from high school. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, it's a smaller channel, I think. Some people think it's big now. I guess for the niche, it's probably become big. But like you know, like one hundred and thirty-two thousand. Actually, we just crossed one hundred thirty-two thousand subscribers like a day ago. Um, that I've really only believe. Okay, wait. I I've been recognized once in person. If you don't count at the Carolina Game Summit, that I was recognized. But I don't. But that was by like another person who worked at one of the companies. So he mm -hmm. was like, "We." I was going. Actually, it's funny. I was going up one escalator. He was going down another one past me. He just points at me and goes, "Tom, Moore's law is dead." <laughs> <laughs> and, but so I don't know if you count someone who like works at a system integrator as technically being recognized in person by a someone who's not a super dork i guess everyone yeah, here if they know our channel is probably a super dork i mean that's you have true to follow this dork um but i guess my point is i think so, i think friends of mine have met people that know who i am more than i have i mean maybe i don't i think i can think of a couple instances i'm not sure and i know there was like one time when your channel was actually still pretty small that you coincidentally met someone. Yeah, that's the time. It's like 20,000 people. You know, I think what this suggests is I just don't go outside enough. <laughs> I think, if I'm being honest, that's probably why. Um, yeah. it, the, I don't know how else you explain my friends meeting people who know who I am more than I have. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, but otherwise, I thought it would be nice to open up with that lighthearted reader mail. We have no corrections and omissions today, which must mean that we've obtained Pope-like infallibility. I assume that's what that means, right? Uh, yeah, we'll, ne we'll never say anything inaccurate ever again, I bet. And I'm sure no one in the comments will ever accuse us of getting things wrong. So let us move on, though, to story number one. RX 6950 XT at 1100, RX 6750 XT at 550, and RX 6650 XT at 400 launch with 4 to 8% more performance than their unoverclocked predecessors. On May 10th, AMD finally launched the RDNA 2 refresh that has been heavily rumored and arguably over-discussed for months now. The breakdown is as follows. The 6950 XT, like we said, is $1,100, brings 3 to 6% more performance at 335 watts than the 6900 XT, and it has a 10% higher cost. 6750 XT at that $550 price point, 6 to 9% performance increase at 250 watts with a 15% higher cost in the 6700 XT. And the 6650 XT brings a measly 2 to 5% performance increase at 13% more power at 180 watts, costing 5% higher 
$400 compared to $380. So in other words, the MSRP price increase of these SKUs is almost exactly double the performance increase. So, meh. However, some good news is that Moore's Law is Dead can report availability on the AIB models is high, speaking to some distributors before recording. And while some will obviously try to gouge with a couple models, early indications are that these products should stay pretty close to MSRP for the most of the product life, and in doing so, put further pressure on NVIDIA cards and the non-50XT models that preceded them. Yeah, and I guess full disclosure, we're recording this before reviews go live, but we know several people that work at these large... Uh, review houses, and I, I have three sources confirming that pricing. So at least as of this recording, that is the pricing. It'd be, I guess it'd be funny if this episode came out and they lowered it again, but all evidence <laughs> is that's not going to happen. So we know the pricing ahead of time. We've seen the benchmarks before they've gone live, and yeah, I, I, I know, Dan, what do, you, what do you think about these 5% better products? You know, I, part of me wonders if these have gotten discussed so much just I don't remember exactly when they leaked, but they seem to have leaked relatively early relative to like what type of product this is, because this is kind of just a small stopgap product that they can release and make slightly more money off of, I'm guessing, because of higher binning than when they initially launched all of these cards. Um, and I guess they also have 18 gigabit per second memory now, right? But there's not much to be said about them other than that they're slightly better than what they're replacing and slightly more expensive like if you're asking me a 6950 at 1100 and a 6900 XT at $1000 I mean I don't know rec know it's one I would recommend I guess if you're spending that much money spend the extra hundred bucks but <laughs> that's all about all i mean I if you're say. spending over a thousand you clearly don't care about money although i will say let me check here on new egg i believe the 6900 xt is already getting it is it's 950 after rebate for a gigabyte model right now mm -hmm. and so i don't know i the way i see it is just a gigantic meh and at the end of the day at least this puts more pressure on everything else going down in price I suppose it does, but I kind of think that trend or force was already there before this yeah, I know. even came out. Like like you said, a 6900 XT is currently selling for 950 with rebate. Part of me wonders if maybe the fact that these have been so over-discussed that there are like people that are not getting the 6900 with the expectation that they can get a 6950 XT. But maybe a little. I don't know how widespread the the uh Lecosphere is to the general people that are buying it. You know what I mean? Lecosphere. The Lecosphere. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. I think the overwhelming majority of people don't pay that close attention when these things are coming out. Um, yeah, even with like things like, you know, 6950 XT, not most gamers don't, even people who get like 3090s, don't watch that many leak videos. Um, I'm trying to think of really what else there is to say. I guess this just kind of makes up for. Frankly, what I've found is Ampere gaining performance over RDNA 2 over time. This fine wine argument that people were making, I, I think that really, I think it should be called Raja fine wine because it's when Raja helps make an architecture, it seems to age better with GCN because the drivers weren't done on time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I have a 6700 XT here right now that a um, someone let me borrow just to like update my benchmarks. And I've got to say, 
compared to when I reviewed the 6700 XT to the 3070. I guess the good news for the 6700 XT is its re rendering editing performance has improved. But outside of that in gaming, if anything, the 3070s gained more performance, relatively speaking, mm -hmm. than the 6700 XT is. And that's also what Steve at Hardware Unboxed surprised. I found similar results to Steve that, if anything, the 3070 in 4K is actually now firmly like a little stronger than the 6700 XT with the 6700 XT only narrowly beating the 3060 Ti in 4K. I, I think this overclocking will make up for that. And right now, I believe on Newegg, 6700 XTs are selling for about 550. So look, if they can drop something that's like 8% stronger at the same price that then ties or slightly beats the 3070 with more RAM, good. But th this really doesn't honestly move the needle basically at all in my mind. Yeah, and these types of things, pro these products like rarely do. This is just an end of gen refresh, which we kind of get the we've got get those relatively frequently, like with CPUs, like the end of gen refresh from last generation or the fifty eight hundred X three D. There are these things that they can put out at near the end of the generation to either keep a price higher or get a new price point, but. These aren't going to be around for all of that that long, and it's not like a, a generational uplift. It's a, a minor increase that might get a, a few people to upgrade from what they previously had. And yeah, I think actually on that note, Hardware Unbox just did a review, or on the previous note I said, and found the 3060 seems to have gained a little bit <laughs> on the 6600 XT. So again, all this does is now they can just firmly say yeah well they can firmly say the 6950 xt matches or beats the 3090 unless you're doing ray tracing the third the 6750 xt is as strong as the 3070 the 6650 xt is definitely stronger than a 3060 but again i like with how prices are going the 6600 xt is going below 380 just get that uh, and overclock it honestly man yeah and that's it <laughs> I, I think that's kind of the uh what this generation is is you have like a, a a range of cards you're interested in and then it's like well this is the first card that reached the price i'm willing to pay for that specific one and i guess i'll get that one now instead of maybe a 6700 or, or instead of like a 6800 xt because eh, it's available <laughs> yeah i guess the the one thing i want to check before we move on to the next story is just kind of a sanity check on where nvidia prices are because they have not been falling at least in the new market, not the used market, as fast as AMD's cards have been in price. So let me just, yeah, like the RTX 3070, I mean, good God, the thing's still selling for $700. So that's the one thing I will say, though, is you can be critical of like the 6750 XT all you want. And I do find it odd they didn't just make it like $529 or $500 flat. But at the same time, if the 3070 is selling for $700, no. And 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 if I look at the 3060 Ti here, and I know there will it's, be someone who's like, "Oh, I got one for you know," they're, they're selling for five. The the floor is five eighty for a 3060 Ti right now. Yeah, and look, if you find a 3060 Ti for four hundred dollars, I choose that over something that costs thirty percent more that just gives you more RAM in the 6700 or 6750 XT. But most of the time, you're paying more for a 3060 Ti than a 6750 XT that has 50% more RAM and probably beats it by 10%. Uh, I, I think that 
you can, as usual, these cards will probably get critical reviews and people will ignore that NVIDIA Street price is just higher. That's kind of what it looks like. And, you know, I guess you have to caveat it with the it's an Azeroth 6700 XT, which I think their graphics cards generally aren't that great, if I'm remembering correctly. But there is a 6700 XT on Newegg right now for $500. So exactly it's, it's selling below the 3060 ti and yeah like you said maybe maybe the 3060 ti there is a price point that's more compelling that makes it more compelling than the 6700 xt but the pricing certainly isn't there right now <laughs> all right well let us move on then to story number two intel arc a750 a580 and a380 gpus launch update more whispers and rumors continue to emerge about Desktop Alchemist. Anyhow, it seems like the worries voiced by Moore's Law is Dead in recent Broken Silicons is becoming more and more likely to be well-founded. Alchemist is basically a budget mid-range launch in late quarter two and early quarter three. In summary, the latest rumors suggest A380 and A750 should at least be unveiled by Computex this month and bring a $150 RX 6400 or 6500 XT competitor, a $350 RTX 3060 or 3060 Ti competitor this summer, and that the A580 is now rumored to launch as a 3050 killer below $300 in July. And thus far, the A7 the A780, the 3070 competitor, seems poised to indeed be a limited edition release late July or August, just as Moore's Law as it suggested seemed likely after Intel officially announced a limited edition launch in summer, which is notable because they called all the other launches early summer, suggesting a technically beginning of quarter three launch. At the end of the day, what else is there to say? All of this hinges on Intel finally getting a grip on the drivers over this month. But if Intel launches a 16 gigabyte $450 3070 competitor, a 12 gigabyte $350 3060 or 3060 Ti competitor, and a 6 gigabyte $150 Navi 23 competitor, even a month, a month before Lovelace launches, it could act as a decent lifeline to the market when AMD and NVIDIA let stock dry up before their new product lines launch. And indeed, at this point, that's probably the best Alchemist will be at the end of the day. And it's worth remembering that pricing can certainly change before launch. Companies change pricing last minute all the time. So there you go, Dan. There, this, I, I can't... a hundred. I, well, let me say this. You can't 100% confirm the pricing because Intel could change it. The, like, again, I'm telling you guys, the RDNA 2 refresh cards, they had different pricing a month ago. But this seems pretty legit here, guys. Like, 150 for a Navi 23 competitor, but it has 6 gigabytes. Yeah, 350 for a 12 gigabyte kind of 3060 to 3060 Ti performance. And then 16 gigabytes for a 16 gigabyte 3070. I mean, I don't know. What do you think about this, Dan? Well, at the end of the day, then, if pricing all turns out to be uh, accurate to what it, what gets released, like, the $150 one kind of sounds like the most interesting card to me because mm. there's an actual low-end card at a low-end price point <laughs> where the 6500 XT is at $200 is what we used to think of as mid-range and $150, I think. Well, that will probably Yeah, that will probably get good reviews and pull the price of like the 6500 XT down with it. Other than that, I, yeah, these cards are just like we've been saying for months now. Yeah, months now, I guess. This is going to be 
kind of too little too late. Like you say, there's going to be that month bridge where they might be the most compelling thing to buy, but... They might be the only thing on the market. I really do hear a lot of rumors that NVIDIA is going to totally let stock dry up after this month. So that would be nice if, you know, and again, everyone's like only 4 million cards. It's like, yes, but that's like a third of what you would expect out of these companies in like one quarter or something. So if they add a third more stock in one month where there is no stock from the other companies, that's what Intel should at least try to do because it would be noticeable. Anything besides that, though, no one's going to care. It's just not a, I think it's a somewhat precarious position to be in being the stopgap generation for your competitors who that's what everyone is waiting for anyways. And I don't know who's going to be buying uh like a set what's the uh mid-range like an a750 or something as a stopgap card i think that's maybe more what like the a380 are yeah the a580 or the a380 would be um and then at the end of the day when they release their quote-unquote high-end card that's pro- going to be a mid-range card within like a couple weeks maybe <laughs> will be a solidly mid-range, maybe even low-end card low in, a couple, end, yeah. in a couple weeks. So all I can really say is, like, hopefully Battle Mage comes in six months. In, no. At six months, six to nine year. months after this. And without that, I mean, I think Intel's just behind on their graphics card releases, and they need to step up the cadence if they actually want to be interesting against AMD and NVIDIA. I think at this point, and I kind of assume this is what they're going to try to do, and maybe it's half of the reason it's taking so long, is they realized months ago, we're not going to be able to launch early without sacrificing quality of drivers some. Mm -hmm. And so all we can do is try to be respectable, not a big deal. We're not going to be a big deal. We know we're not going to be a big deal. But Mm -hmm. at least if we're... We have a respectable launch with respectable performance, with respectable pricing. We won't be remembered badly. Like, they've got to be looking at how the 6500 XT was perceived, fair or not, and go, let's just not do that. We're only selling 4 million of these things this year. This is a drop in the bucket compared to our normal yearly revenue. I would actually hope... That what that one that what they end up doing is bringing something that is slightly weaker than a 6500 XT, but has more RAM for 150, and they make like you know, I don't know. I, I think they'd probably be breaking even actually at 150, which I was already told specifically that model will probably be sold at cost to make a big deal out of it. But hey, good encoding performance, maybe better than the 6500 XT ra- tracing. Enough RAM. That's not that's not bad. That that's a decent budget graphics card. And which this market hasn't seen a decent budget graphics card for years. So that'd be nice. And then I think they need to be more aggressive. I think you put that at 150. And I think you put the 3060 competitor, which hopefully I sounds like it's actually a little stronger than that, like 10% stronger than 3060. Hopefully they just bring that 12 gigabyte card out, put it at $300. I know at $300, they're probably making like a $10, $20 profit. Just do that. People will look at it and go, hey, I need a budget mid-range card. This was 300 bucks with 12 gigabytes. Drivers work well. I'm happy I bought it. And, and again, so on and so forth. $400, 16 gigabyte card. At $400, I am sure Intel's making like a $20, $30 profit. Just have people remember they worked. 
they were priced well, and we may have forgotten about them, but we don't remember that they at least left a okay taste in our mouth. Because you don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Just just make it four hundred bucks and sixteen gigabytes, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to launch early, anyways. Especially if they're if um, ZSS and their ray tracing turn out well. Like if they're relatively sure. good compared to what AMD and NVIDIA have at their at the respective tiers and performance, I think that'll at least be a good advertising round. Like, look how good this technology is. And then next time they have something, people will be primed to at least be interested in Battle Mage and they can actually enter the presumably they can actually actually enter the high end. Yeah, I guess the last thing I want to say on this story is just to really zero in on a major point here. When mm-hmm. I saw Intel officially say limited edition high-end <laughs> alchemist summer, whereas every other date they were saying earlier in the presentation was early summer. Early summer meaning what? End of like June, right? Isn't that when summer begins? End of ju- near mid uh, June? End of June, yeah. Yeah. So if that's early summer, one could even argue July falls into early summer. <laughs> and they say the limited edition run is summer. I don't know where these people were saying, oh, that means end of quarter two. To me, that sounds most likely like beginning or mid quarter three, guys. Like, um, it- I mean, yeah, summer ends mid, right? Yeah, summer ends mid quarter. Th- no, near the end of quarter three. So. Exactly. They, they, so, they, could, they, they could say late summer. I mean, September. summer ends in September. Like, oh, yeah. So summer ends in September. They, they could even be all the way in quarter four with a, a summer release, I guess. Right. So I think what they meant by that is late July or beginning of August is what they're yeah. sure they could meet. And then you combine that with the fact that months ago, I had a source tell me that the reference model that I've been leaking this whole time, the standard two fan one, not a limited edition looking one, that that model might not even be ready till quarter four. Well, I think of that whisper and I think of limited edition summer and I'm like, oh, so like the frontier edition is July, August. The mainstream is September (laughs) or something. (laughs) And then hearing that they may not even release that fan, that model that I leaked a year ago that it might not ever come out. And then I see this leak come out now that shows the third, the cut down models coming out first. I'm forced to go, yeah. So it sounds like the mid range and low end launches, and then they're just going to do a limited run of the high end for desktop only, just limited run, and most of the high end will be saved for a laptop. Yeah, which is a smart thing to do, by the way, because I don't think mobile Lovelace will be ready till early next year. So now's the time to put all of it to laptop if you can, and just launch it to desktop to. To say you didn't, frankly, get experience launching on desktop. I, I think Intel still has a more positive reset. Uh, it is still more positively perceived right now in the laptop space than they are in the desktop space. So, eh, makes they, sense to try to do a the push. Units. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of moving units, that doesn't work. Let's just move on to story number three: Lovelace rumors update. What the hell is going on? (laughs) And I have a small write-up here. Uh, Over the past couple of weeks, Lovelace rumors have become odd and contentious, at least in this writer's opinion. Everything from 900-watt TDPs to insane tripling performance and rasterization claims are being thrown around like a beach ball at a drunken beach concert. And I would like to ask, 
Has everyone lost their minds? Did people learn nothing from 2020's leak cycle? No. Most imp- <laughs> Dan says no. <laughs> of most importance is highlighting that the node upgrade NVIDIA is getting going from 8 nanometer at Samsung to, four, to a custom 4 nanometer at TSMC is smaller than what they got going from 28 nanometer uh, on Maxwell to 16 nanometer on Pascal. And maybe slightly a larger upgrade than what they got going from Pascal to Ampere. So with all of that in mind, Ampere compared to Pascal increased power consumption by 30 to 40%, increased die sizes by 25%, and yet only brought a 45 to 55% performance increase. So we know Lovelace will increase power over Ampere by 30 to 50% again, and although the node shrink is a bit better than before, being on a custom 4 nanometer that likely pulls from both N4P and early N4X libraries, the die size isn't increasing this time around according to, well, all sources. So how are they possibly increasing performance by more than like 2.5x, even 3x? If if doubling performance, it would just be an incredible accomplishment for them to even double performance with all of that in mind, guys. And I, will, I want to also add to that that I've always maintained ray tracing performance is likely 20% higher than the raster increase. So it's not like I'm ignoring how big of the gains are going to be in some scenarios. Furthermore, 600 watts is directly confirmed as the power usage for the 4090. This isn't some random engineering sample, guys. I'm telling you this is what people, what it's going to be. So it's not like these other gains are being ignored as well. And I I don't know. In conclusion, I really advise people take some caution in the more insane claims going around right now for Lovelace performance increases. I, I don't know, Dan. What do you have to say about this? There's really been some outrageous things put out there. And the more I look at like what's possible from node shrinks... I, I, I don't know where people think this performance is coming from. I, I I don't even know if everyone who's talking about this knows where it's coming from. I, I think this is just, for some reason, the hype train that happens seemingly every generation, in the lead up to every new generation. For some reason, people want to be set up to be disappointed by impressive, what are likely going to be impressive releases, at least from a performance increase standpoint i mean if the 4090 is using like 600 watts it's more of a woohoo i guess but i i think there's for some reason becomes an inflated expectation or or maybe there's some type of like ratcheting up of well i heard it's going to be 80 percent stronger oh yeah well i heard it's going to be two times stronger i heard it's going to be 2.5 and i don't know people get progressively more and more excited about seeing a bigger number like that's kind of what it sounds like to me and then it ends up being double so or 80 percent or double the performance over this gen and that somehow disappoints some people like i i don't get the purpose of it but it's seems to have happened what two times i mean ampere was the first right ampere was the first uh like full product cycle this channel went through kind of right like yeah early rumor release to, to end of life yeah, and this happened the first time. I mean, before we were doing, you were doing this professionally. I mean, we still kept track of the market. People always would people overhyped when the first Titan came out by inflating the numbers Nvidia was giving them in their heads. It's just a thing that some people seem to do. Some people are start to inflate performance for no reason, and some people are like, well. It's not, it's going to be barely any stronger. And I think that voice is like kind of dying to now we're at a point where it's like 
the reasonable person is saying it's going to be 80% to two times stronger. It's like, yeah, that's because the uh, the math checks out at that point. And this 3x performance uplift, I, I don't understand where it could possibly come from. Because that just doesn't, like you said in your video, like that just doesn't happen with modern silicon. <laughs> yeah, this is like one node shrink, guys. This is going from... Maxwell to Pascal was two full node shrinks worth of performance increases there. And what they got was like a 75% increase. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, the die size was a little smaller. They only up power consumption a little bit to do it. But still, <laughs> you know, like, come on. You know, Ampere added more ray tracing performance. So maybe that's why its die size had to go up more than like with Pascal and Maxwell, where they didn't add any of that stuff. You know, so I don't know. And I just want to say this, too. I, I just can't stop laughing here about this. Like with the how many and I put it in quotes because and, and again, I'm not talking about a lot of the Twitter people, though some of them maybe like a lot of them, I think, are just following what they can. There's some, you know, supposed YouTube leakers who started at like three X and now they're just slowly moving their goalpost to exactly what I've been saying for over a year. And it's, I just want to tell you, it's not because the specs changed, guys. These designs take years. RDNA 3 and what it is now hasn't changed from basically how it was designed half a year ago. So anyone who's like, oh, it's toned down the specs, that doesn't make sense. No, it isn't. Yeah. The, the, I These mean, designs the, get locked in about a year ahead of time. The only way I could imagine that something like ha that happening is if for some reason, there was a die, uh, a, a die that they d realized they couldn't manufacture at scale at the specs they wanted. So they don't release that die, which... Sure, that that changed with RDNA 1. There that was definitely like a, a bigger RDNA 1 that they yeah, made. I think it would be pretty conspicuous when you see that, like it is with RDNA 1, where Navi 10 is pretty obviously a mid-range die. Yeah, being like 30% smaller... Or, well, wait, technically it would be like 25% smaller than the Radeon 7. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what else to say about this. Like, nothing, like, I recently communicating some of RDNA 3's design is changing, and it's like, yeah, that doesn't come out for one and a half to two years. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's way out. That's when they make last minute changes. But five months before release, guys, they don't change the whole architecture. That's not <laughs> how this works. Lovelace's yeah. design was locked in months ago, and so was RDNA3's. For, for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and also the same, I'll just throw this in there at the end, for Phoenix. <laughs> Which I, I did think of this today talking to some people in the Moore's Law is Dead Discord. Phoenix is die size, according to what I know, is the same size, if not smaller, than Rembrandt. It's one node shrink from 6 nanometer to 5 nanometer. How mm -hmm. do you double performance with one node shrink at same power consumption on a smaller die that's still hamstrung by dual-channel LPDDR5 memory? Um... I honestly don't know where some of these fake leakers get off. It so fundamentally doesn't follow common sense that... It is egregiously bad, some of these leaks. I don't know. It, yeah. it, it's absurd what's going on. I, I, I actually think I might have to do a Phoenix leak soon. Well, it's officially spring, which for me and my dog Reese means getting outside and growing some fresh food in our garden. 
And also, it means having to mow the lawn every week, having to take care of weeds, and just having to maintain the yard in general, which means that, yeah, during the spring and summer months, I like having a quick snack that I can make so I waste as little time as possible now that I'm spending more time taking care of my yard. But I also, of course, want it to be healthy and tasty. And, well, yeah, that's where Vite Ramen comes in. Vite Ramen is an American company that, just like me, likes using fresh ingredients to make meals tasty and healthy and it only takes a few minutes to make and they keep updating their recipe like the v3 edition of beef pho recently to keep ensuring their product is as good as it can be so make sure even if you bought them before you check back at their store and if you do click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a special bundle just for moore's law zed fans that gives you 25 dollars in free goodies and it really does help support this channel tremendously seriously i eat bite ramen it's tasty it's healthy it's fresh and it's especially reasonably priced if you use the Moore's Law as dead deal. Try Vite Ramen today. All right, let us move on then. Spamton Neil writes in and he says, have you heard anything on NVIDIA's chiplet options? I'm wondering if Ampere Next Next is going to be MCM or not. If it isn't chiplet, will they be forced to just have two dies side by side like first gen Epic? They may be in major trouble at the top end if they don't have chiplets ready very soon. I I don't know why they would need to necessarily do that. Like, I don't know. Even if you look at how Sapphire Rapids is organized, you could argue they're kind of copying in a similar way to like what Zen 1 Epic did where it's four tiles near each other. Mm -hmm. But Zen 1 was more like four different chiplets a little far apart. Sapphire Rapids has four big tiles like directly connected together with as little space as possible for latency reasons. All of these companies tend to do things in a bit of a different way. I, I don't, I don't think NVIDIA is just, I guess we'll see. Maybe they will, right? Maybe because AMD has been working on all of this stuff in such a deep way. AMD is, you know, going to have their organization of their first multi-die GPU architecture be much more complex than what Apple did where they just put two next to each other. Maybe NVIDIA will just put two next to each other for that reason. I don't know. But I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how NVIDIA is going to do it, but I wouldn't assume they have to do it the same way AMD did the first time they did it. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, my simple dumb person answer is I would expect MCM out by, from NVIDIA by whatever is after Lovelace or whatever is after that. But <laughs> just... Because that's clearly where the market is moving, and NVIDIA will be the last one to do it, I think, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of putting multiple dies next to each other, let us move on to story number four. Navi 31 and MI300 leaked by Moore's Law's Dead. A couple of weeks ago, Moore's Law's Dead leaked what he could, or Tom at Moore's Law's Dead leaked what he could confirm about both Navi 31 and MI 300. In summary, Navi 31 and Navi 32 are 100% confirmed to be using multiple dies. This is then going to be divided between six nanometer IO cache, and IO and cache dies, and five nanometer graphics or compute dies. Performance is expected to roughly double RDNA 2 performance, with only modest power consumption increases for most of the stack. PCIe 5.0 is all but confirmed, and 3D stacking is heavily suggested so far for Navi 31. Navi 31 will launch in quarter three or quarter four of this year, with Navi 32 following the first half of next year in 2023. More interestingly, at least in how elaborate it is, MI 300 or at least the variant we have seen, 
is incredibly complex. It sees a massive, roughly 2,750 millimeter squared interposer hold above it four six nanometer base tiles, and then above those on each one, two five nanometer compute tiles for eight compute tiles total. These tiles see 20,000 connections between each of them to each other. Double what Apple is using for the M1 Ultra. And I think there actually may be several 20,000 connectors for the six nanometer tiles to the other six nanometer tiles. Power consumption is currently targeting 600 watts, which sounds high, but must be noted is about 15% less than what Hopper offers while using three times the silicon. <laughs> The five nanometer compute dies can also be swapped between various types of compute depending on the customer. One, and I'm not going to say the number. I was advised by Carbon Cry not to because, you know, if we don't really know what they're doing with the compute units in these tiles, then it might be wrong to assume they're what we think they are. But based on what I've seen, these compute tiles can have way more compute units on a 110 millimeter squared die, which is the five nanometer dies I've seen than you would expect. But it's worth mentioning. You might not need to put any L3 on it. You could just put L3 cache on the 6 nanometer tile directly below where the 5 nanometer goes. So you could remove a, a massive amount of cache. You could also, because there's multiple types of compute tiles, make these tiles only for like FP32, stripping out all the other operations they need to do. And so you could see a situation where in terms of compute density, AMD offers hilarious amounts of performance depending on the SKU you configure, like kind of ordering a hamburger. Like I want this type of meat, not that type. Um, and yeah, all this is expected to launch in the first half of 2023 to directly compete with Hopper, which must be pointed out, Hopper may look impressive right now, but the MI250X launched at the end of last year. Hopper won't be out till quarter three. In many ways, Hopper is just going to be competing with MI300. It again has three times the silicon per SOC, which is just insane. So, Navi 31, MI 300. What do you think, Dan? Well, you know, with MI 300, like that's the t uh, why I, Nvidia probably needs to go to a tile-based approach at some point. Is this is? <laughs> I think this is more than what is possible to really do with a uh, with a monolithic <laughs> uh, die. Where well, th what they have. So that's a total of 12, 12 tiles. Correct. Uh, I mean, yes. That's a lot of silicon <laughs> that I, I don't think you could uh, print monolithically uh, without, um, I don't know, having an insanely high failure rate. Well, you would have to do the kind of like whatever it is, like the stitching they do together of several reticle limit dies like Cerebus yeah. does with that like wafer scale die. And that has its own performance losses for certain applications when you do that. And I just want to be clear, like 340 times 4 plus 110 times 8. Uh, so yeah, that's 2,240 millimeters squared total. <laughs> that's big. Yeah. And so it's going to be around that ballpark. That's triple the seven, like, what is it? Like 711 millimeters squared of Hopper. So I don't know how Hopper competes with this. If this variant I've seen, it really does come out. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll see. Hopper is also probably going to beat this to the market by some by some amount of time so they'll have that advantage for presumably several months i think right like it, it, maybe i'm wrong but this sounds like a march product launch probably something like that uh next year yeah 
Probably, yeah. Okay. So Hopper will probably be on the market for a little bit before this comes out, at least. Yes, but even the Grace Hopper combined thing won't be out till like mid to late 2023. So I don't know. We'll have yeah, to see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and I, I, the reason I put these leaks together is what I've been doing with Navi 31, what I've been doing with all my leaks, really, is I'm just kind of done. Like, I, I want to leak things when I have multiple sources that I'm 100% sure of saying the same thing, and it's all together. There's some amount of connecting the dots in any leak, of course, but I don't see the point in leaking every spec of Navi 31 until I'm 100% sure and I can make sense of it. Like, I can say, well, this many stream processors has been increased per work group because there it's going you know it does this because they can clock it this high and it's going to get this type of per compute unit performance increase like i don't i don't see the point in doing that because again if someone were to have leaked ampere's cuda core count early everyone would have thought well it must be at least we'll triple the performance of <laughs> of uh Turing. So they they did a very good job of not letting that get out <laughs> on I, again ampere. with ampere AIBs had to remanufacture some boxes. That mm -hmm. was hilarious. The day of the announcement of Ampere, I was told incorrect specs from some like from someone who 100% was just being told the wrong info by Nvidia to mess with people. I, I so yeah, they def, I agree. They did a good job, but it's because they literally lied to their partners. <laughs> Although to be fair for to Nvidia, they lied to their partners because their partners are always freaking leaking everything they tell them. So. <laughs> So it can be understood why NVIDIA did that. But so while I don't want to 100% confirm the configuration and specs of Navi 31 yet, uh, I do, although I confirmed like half of them, I did want to combine it with the MI300 that I have pictures of because that at least tells you what AMD is capable of, right? Yeah. Like, so that right there tells you what they're probably thinking of doing with, like, I don't know, RDNA 4, which I hear RDNA 4 may either be getting dumbed down right now or just push to the next level and man i really do wonder what uh, i'll just say it. i i do wonder if they could share some of these styles with rdna for an mi300 it'd be fascinating if they shared and, and why would they not they shared some they shared uh components between epic and ryzen why not share components between mi300 and rdna4 it's just yeah, and common sense and if their goal with <laughs> Zen to a huge degree was obviously being able to share parts between vastly different uh, products and vastly different segments in the market. It would make sense that they would try to do the same for GPUs, but you know, I, I wouldn't bet money on that right now. I, that wouldn't surprise me though. Yeah. And the, the thing I want to point out too, is I thought to myself, like when I started hearing that AMD was maybe playing around with putting in some RDNA 4 tiles on MI300 base dies, I asked one of my rendering people to kind of like see, well, would this like, I mean, this is huge, this 2,750 millimeter squared interposer, which is four times reticle limit, <laughs> like, <laughs> will this fit on a PCIe card? The answer is yes. It probably could, actually. It'd be really expensive, but you can just barely fit it on a fat PCIe card. So I, w But I just have to think they would stop at two tiles with four compute dies, don't you think? Yes. Because with four the... stacks of HBM3? Isn't that where you would expect AMD to stop for a consumer gaming product? 
theoretically, well, and I guess we also don't know if there is some pretty big diminishing returns in gaming performance adding that many tiles together. Maybe there is, you know, maybe there's not, but it, it, even if it's seen as one GPU by professional apps, they still might use the resources better if they're spread out than a game would. Yeah, I mean, geez. I guess if they say it's possible, it's possible. That, uh, that I, I would need to do, uh, I'll believe them, but that sounds like it would be <laughs> really squeezing, on the, squeezing the limits of, of what you can fit on a PCB that you could put in a desktop. Not to mention the cost. I mean, I, yeah. I, I looked at, like, usually people talk about how silicon isn't actually that expensive. Well, when you have 2,200 millimeters squared of it, it actually does become pretty expensive, especially when the compute tiles for RDNA 4 are certainly going to at least be 4 nanometer, if not 3. The original plan was 3 nanometer, by the way, guys, but that might change because there are issues. With that in mind, 3 nanometer is more expensive than, let's just say it is, 5 nanometer, like a lot more expensive. So we're talking about like uh, 800 millimeters squared. If they use the full setup, like 800 mm -hmm. millimeters squared or more of 3 nanometer silicon, Plus like a thousand, like <laughs> plus like twelve hundred or something, fourteen hundred mil, fifteen hundred millimeter squared of six nanometer silicon. No, I mean at, at that point you're looking at like a thousand dollars at least in cost of just the silicon <laughs> before we get into the packaging costs and the cost of, you know, eight stacks of HBM three. I mean this is a graphics card that at cost might be two to three thousand dollars. So that's the only thing I would say is if AMD did launch some RDNA 4 chip that looks like MI300, the top MI300, that's like a $6,000 graphics card. Although to be fair, for all we know, it might be three times, four times stronger than RDNA 3. And if they did that, they're like, yep, it's 10 grand. And you know what? It also is 10 times the performance of a 6900 XT or something. <laughs> it's, called so. the, it's called the R9, uh, I mean RX we don't care anymore. You'll, yeah, we, you'll buy this. There is a part of me that wishes they would do that, though, just so they can top charts and be like, and no one can argue anymore. Like Titan Volta uh, moment on steroids. <laughs> I don't know, though. All that's, I want to be clear, though. It's possible, guys. I just highly doubt AMD would actually decide to launch that product because I don't even know where you go from there for the next-gen flagship. Um, yeah, unless they launch something like some, a, it's a flagship of flagships that they'd only upgrade every like three years or mm -hmm. something. And the next one would just look like Ponta Vecchio, just like 40 chiplets <laughs> <laughs> that cost 20 grand, but technically can do 16K 500 hertz gaming. I don't know. I'd love to see it even if I can't buy it, but let's get uh, get out of this wild speculation yes. realm we're in here. <laughs> Move on to a reader mail. QH Freddy writes in and he says, AMD's use of 3D stacking on RDNA 3 looks very impressive, but what's to say NVIDIA doesn't have access to that? Um, you know, my answer to that is, and we can't rule it out. For all we know, Blackwell's 3D stacked multi-dyne, NVIDIA's got it working. I, I, I hope it is, because I think they need that to compete with RDNA 4. Um, but AMD has had 3D, by the time RDNA 3 comes out, they'll have been using Vcash for almost a year and, on the 5800X3D and certainly Milan X. And so, and then AMD is using multiple dyes on the MI250X right now. So I, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, you know, AMD has been doing this years before they even bring out the consumer thing, or at least a year before they bring out the consumer, or most of a year before they bring out the consumer thing. And Intel's done 3D stacking on Lakefield three years ago, and Ponte Vecchio comes out now. So 
That's why I can believe Battle Mage is going to be multiple dies and 3D stacked. Probably 3D stacked. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I'm almost 100% it's multiple dies. They've had, Mont- they've had Lakefield for like four years and Ponte Vecchio for a year. That's why I believe Intel can do it. And AMD will have products out before Intel did besides Lakefield. Where's NVIDIA's 3D stacked products before they bring it to something reasonably priced to consumers? Yeah, and, and to put for that more with like vcash with amd i mean we know they've been we know they've been working on vcash for a lot longer than that too uh, like according to the, like things they've said we know vcash has been around just not in a product for a long time with them yeah so i i don't know i who's to say nvidia isn't going to bring this out i just don't think they have it ready for lovelace and mm-hmm. i am not sure they do for blackwell although it's heavily rumored they might I want to see a consumer product that does this stuff. I mean, a, a professional or server grade, you know, $30,000 a product's product do this before I believe they're bringing it to you for 500 bucks. That's why. Yeah. Because I just don't, I think it's very unlikely that happens. Kronos writes in, will the ri- widespread use of advanced packaging and various chips help drive down the cost of HBM? How much longer can GDDR scale before it becomes too power hungry? Do you think some form of HBM will eventually return to consumer products or will something else replace GDDR? Uh, yeah, I think HBM is going to come to consumer products again at some point. But I have to say that GDDR RAM isn't power hungry with RDNA 2, is it? You know, and yeah. as far as we can tell, Navi 33 is going to bring Navi 21 performance to 200 watts using GDDR6, standard GDDR6. So not all companies are letting traditional RAM drive their power consumption to the moon. And so I think it's going to, we already, I already know GDDR7 is coming. It was planned for RDNA4. Lovelace supposedly has some low level support for it. Uh, I, I think that means for, you know, so then hundred percent GDDR7 is coming. I think GDDR8 is coming as well. I, I think we need a fundamental change in memory, but it's not going to just be like, HBM, I think it's going to be some other migration of cash or something else, and HBM is just going to be there for high-end products. I, I, I don't know. I don't think GDDR is going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll say HBM rears its head every once in a while, and it's just you get the odd HBM product. But yeah, it doesn't seem like GDDR is changing anytime soon. And if we go all the way through to GDDR, that's probably going to be what another f- like four years at least with with uh, gddr yeah so i don't know i i think I, I guess i'll continue to say that i'm a little surprised nvidia isn't putting hbm on their flagship cards but they're not and if they're not i don't know you know i, I don't mm-hmm. see hbm being on a lot of mainstream products for a while and i think gddr is here to stay for the foreseeable future all right let us move on now to something else coming in the foreseeable future. And story number five, AMD promises extreme gaming laptops in 2023 with Dragon Range CPU and Phoenix. Quoting from The Verge, AMD is setting its sights higher than mid-range gaming machines. 
It just revealed it's building a new CPU aimed at the pinnacle of gaming performance with the highest core thread and cache ever on laptops. The new CPU line is codenamed Dragon Range, and they'll live exclusively at the 55-watt TDP and up, enough power that they'll largely exist in the space where gaming laptops are plugged in the majority of the time says AMD Director of Technical Marketing, Robert Halleck. AMD says that the Dragon range will take up the HX suffix for CPUs, a tier above the Ryzen 9 4900HS that impressed us at 35 watts in the 2020 Asus Zephyrus, but hinted that we shouldn't take the higher TDP as a sign they'll totally be ditching power efficiency for performance. They're estimated to be notably more power efficient than other laptops in the competing time frame, says Halleck. And those competing uh, laptops, by the way, everybody will be the Alder Lake HX that we'll cover a little bit later in this episode. That is, to my knowledge, basically the same thing as Dragon Range. Dragon Range finding a way to put Raphael Zen 4 desktop into a smaller package. So 16 cores, probably like four compute units, and, you know, putting it onto one smaller, uh, with a smaller PCH and I.O. controller to fit in a laptop at 55 watts, just like Intel is doing with their, basically just shrinking i9-12900K performance to a laptop as well ahead of time. Uh, but anyways, continuing the write-up here from The Verge. Meanwhile, the 35-45-watt to 45 watt Phoenix line is aimed at machines thinner than that same mark. Both are part of the same AMD Ryzen 7000 series based on the same Zen 4 architecture. And unfortunately, it appears both won't arrive in 2023. So I just see this is exciting. I mean, frankly, we've already known about what I called Raphael H. You know, now they're calling mm -hmm. Dragon Range and Phoenix for a while. None of this is technically news if you follow leaker circles, or at least follow us. But AMD officially confirming this stuff I think is kind of exciting. And I have to just point this out. So Phoenix, unlike what other people said, is not coming out this year. It's coming out next year, and it's in the 35 to 45 watt range using dual channel LPDDR5 officially. Again, this is not remotely close to 3060 performance, people. This is clearly a standard but good upgrade, just like Rembrandt was over Cezanne. That's it. That's what this is. That's what Phoenix is. Um, and again, yeah, I think I need to do a Phoenix leak sooner rather than later, just like I did a Warhol debunking video when people, the community, just started running wild with bad info. Yeah. I don't know, I, though, Dan. Go, well, I'm sorry. Go on. No, I mean, I, I think uh, the... AMD laptop stuff is also kind of where you see a <laughs> where where you can see some running wild with uh, speculation because people want an APU that's low to mid range in performance and I just don't think we're there yet and I don't think we'll be there next generation at the mid range maybe it'll be good uh, maybe it'll like be licking the t heels of like uh, okay like low end performance with uh, Phoenix but uh, or well, Phoenix and Dragon Ridge, I guess. But I, I guess this also, more than anything, just confirms that the notion that, yeah, they're going to bring, like, 16-core to uh, desk, and, I mean, um, to laptops at, in the near future. Well, not near future. Six months from now. Six to seven months from now. <laughs> well, Dragon Range will bring 16 cores, though. Yeah, which, no, that confirms the notion that they're going to do that at some point, where they've been content to just remain at eight cores for a while, because that's all most people need in laptops, really. And it's efficient way to do it's an efficient way of doing this too. I mean, we've already I mean, I think I've leaked it and other X Hubel fix probably leaked it first or something, like over a year ago. 
that Raphael has a small integrated graphics unit on at least a lot of the models. And mm -hmm. if you're doing that, then yeah, just take the chiplets that you're using for desktop on AM5, put them in a tighter package, and there's your high-end laptop competitor, which again, any laptop with a 16-core CPU will have dedicated graphics. So just giving it four compute units is fine, <laughs> you know? And I question some, to some extent if it really needs to integrate it on it at all, but... <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's just because it takes up, at this point, on 5 and 6 nanometers, so little space to put four compute units. Why not? You know, for, yeah. for various reasons, including helping with, like, accelerating encoding. Like, how Intel uses their integrated graphics to accelerate encoding through their CPU cores. Um, that type of stuff makes sense. And, again, just, like, if you can put it in there so you have that backup graphics... Uh, to compete directly with Intel, which is all they're doing with Dragon Range, directly competing with Alder Lake HX. Um, and yeah, I mean, as for Phoenix, it's like, I, I need, we just need to point out here that the reason AMD would make a super APU is if a customer like Apple wanted that, or Surface. But mm -hmm. as far as we can tell, Microsoft screwed over AMD and Surface deals like three gens in a row. So I don't see that happening. And, you know, like Van Gogh, I believe, was supposed to be a, God, was it really that? I think Van Gogh was supposed to be a 2020 flagship APU for the Surface line. Never got used. Valve mm -hmm. said they would use it after all the work was done. And AMD's like, I guess, sure, you can use it. Um, <laughs> after that, I, you know, after that happened, I don't see AMD making some super gaming APU um, unless, yeah, a specific customer wants it. And. So when you look at Phoenix, it's like, yeah, you can expect probably like a 40 to 60% graphics increase, which should put it about a 6400, 6500 XT. But we're not talking about a six, we're not talking about a 1660 Ti, 2060, or 3060 for that matter. Yeah, that's, maybe we'll get that uh, on Zen 5 APUs. May, maybe, but I, I'm saying, keep in mind the 3060 will be pretty low end by that point, but... Yeah, it's just AMD's got to decide they want to do it. Um, Beefish36 writes in and he says, a few laptop-related questions since we've almost a th we're almost a third of the way through the current life cycle. I understand that Intel's e-cores, the efficiency is space efficiency, not just about power, as many initially thought, with Intel's big little seeming to scale worse at lower wattages compared to Rembrandt. Are they going to fix this with Meteor-like? Well, I, I think a big reason that's happening is it's it is both the first time They've done big little, so I wouldn't expect it to be perfect. But also, they're using 10 nanometer, guys. Like, they're mm -hmm. at a no disadvantage compared to AMD uh, on 6 nanometer. Not a giant disadvantage, but a small one. You know, so j just remember that that's a, probably a big part of it. But he goes, are they going to increase the iGPU CU count? Will AMD increase CUs in Phoenix? Well, we've already talked that to death. Will they start an integrated graphics arm race next year? Adore TV's Arrow Lake rumors got me thinking of the midpoint between Arrow Lake launching in 2024. Lastly, any insight on the holdup of the supply chain with AMD laptops? We've seen a few models of the Asus G14 and maybe a Razer Blade 14, and that's it. It seems unusual even compared to last year at a similar time. AMD is making as many APs as they man. They can, guys. They can't make enough of them and keep them in stock. So it's a good issue to have, but it is an issue they're trying to work on and getting more and more and more um, volume out of TSMC. But otherwise, I, I think that's really all I can say. Will there be an integrated graphics arms race next year? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Meteor Lake, if I remember right, is 192 execution units. So they're like, 
yeah, they're doubling the execution units from Alder Lake. And so what is that? If Alder Lake was about a 1050 in performance, a little weaker than that, doubling that gets you to about 1650. AMD will get a little stronger than that. Is that an arms race? 1650 versus 1660 performance? If 1660, by the way. Um, It's just what we should expect out of a 2023 APU. Yeah, to me, it kind of just sounds like there's always this... There's this thought that the APUs will take over the entry level, and I do think they are, and I think it's slowly happening. But every time a new generation of integrated comes out we're hoping it's going to be the entry level of this generation of the current gpu generation that it will match performance with and it's always the entry level of the previous generation or two you know what i mean where yeah but i guess it'll be up to like 1650 performance but it's not going to be at 2060 or 35 or like 3060 performance uh, because APUs just don't progress that fast. Or at least there is no evidence they're like they keep making these sub 200 millimeter squared APUs. Yeah. There's no evidence they're like pushing it to the limits of like 270 millimeter squared and like going to 32 compute units on, I don't know, five nanometer or something because it's just, they're just not. Don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> and I think when people see things like, yeah, you know, they, they, they see, Meteor like with 192 compute units, and they're like, "That'll beat a one a 1650 or something." And it's like, "Isn't that exciting?" Oh, and then Arrow Lake could bring 384 compute units or execution units. I should say same thing, really. Um, and you know, that's gonna allow Intel to bring you something. Yeah, like Arrow Lake could be. You know, that's when we're getting to. Okay, Arrow Lake could be close to a 3060. I think people hear that and go, "Oh my God, an APU arms race!" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's in 2024." So what we're saying is, Intel is bringing 50 to 100% more APU performance with Meteor Lake over Alder Lake. Yeah, but that's a year later, and Alder Lake is like 10 to 20% better than Tiger Lake. So it's way <laughs> overdue. Just like Rembrandt's performance increase was way overdue, and Cezanne didn't like move the NATO at all over Renoir. And then you look at Arrow Lake, double that performance at most, and it's like, yes, it's coming out a year uh, after Meteor Lake. <laughs> this is to be expected, but it's yeah. not impressive to me unless Arrow Lake was coming out this year. It's not, though. And so I don't really see it as a arms race so much as maybe slightly better than expected in performance increases in APU year over year, but that just makes sense to do this and push NVIDIA out of the low end if they can. Yeah, this forces the NVIDIA out of the low end, like you said, and... These integrated have just never quite been what people want them to be, but they're getting mm. slightly closer to what we want them to. People always want them to be. But let me be very clear about that too. If AMD wanted to, in 2023, sure, they could launch a four nanometer APU with 32 compute units, like 32 megabytes of Infinity Cache, and probably give you something around a 6600 XT, maybe even a 6700 XT by then, if they pushed it to like a 300 millimeter squared, you know, buck wild APU. Mm-hmm. But if they do that, that's not Phoenix. It's something else they're working on, and it's up to them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, we've seen zero evidence they want to. Let us move on then to story number six. Intel 24 core and 112 core Fishhawk Falls platforms leaked by Moore's Law is dead. 
Here's the write-up. On May 6th, Moore's Law said leaked some rather exciting info. Intel was getting back into HEDT, even if they don't want you to call it HEDT. In summary, Fishhawk Falls platform launching in three to six months from right now consists of the following. One platform called Mainstream Workstation, supporting up to 24 cores on a monolithic Sapphire Rapids Xeon W die. These cores will all be Golden Cove, all big cores boosting to 4.6 to 5.3 gigahertz clock speeds with 300 to 400 watts of power consumption, four-channel DDDR5 memory, thank God finally, they didn't used to do this, with ECC support, and 64 lanes of PCIe Gen 5, and also probably aggressive pricing. Above that will be the expert workstation platform, allowing 112 cores with two sockets filled with XCC extreme core count dies, an 8-channel DDDR5 memory with ECC support, and an insane 112 PCIe Gen 5 lanes. Now, this will also support upgrades, at least as of now, for Emerald Rapids-based drop-in products, thus suggesting Intel could bring a 24 to 30-core medium core count die with higher IPC and clock speeds the following year for the mainstream one, and then up to 64 cores times two, so 128 cores in dual sockets the following year for the expert workstation. And, well, I guess here's what I will say about this in conclusion. AMD definitely has server performance and efficiency on lock for the next few years, and therefore they can have HEDT on lock if they want to, but they're going to need to want to to keep HEDT as the best platform they dominate moving forward. Intel is clearly willing to brute force their way into directly competing with a 96-core Zen 4 platform, even if they have to put two sockets on a motherboard. <laughs> and their 24-core monolithic medium-core count die should be very cost-competitive against Zen 4 Threadripper. Now, before I get your thoughts, Dan, I actually do need to elaborate on this, because there's been a decent amount of comments in my Fishhawk Falls leak about people being confused how the 24-core... MCC die is going to be more cost or going to be cheaper than the Sapphire Rapids multi-tile or the Zen 4 one because I've done so many videos talking about the economics of chiplets. Guys, here's how that 24 core is cheaper. It's 450 to 550 millimeters squared of 10 nanometer silicon. The XCC Sapphire Rapids one is 1600 millimeters squared of 10 nanometer silicon and 96 core Genoa is about a thousand millimeters squared of five nanometer silicon plus another six nanometer die. So even a 32 core Zen 4 Threadripper would consist of a similar amount of silicon to the MCC Sapphire Rapids and then add on top of that packaging costs and the fact that TSMC is charging an arm and a leg for their five nanometer was Intel owns their 10 nanometer nodes so I, i'm sorry guys i don't know not all chiplet designs are cheaper than all monolithic designs like all mm. like probably cost less to make than zen 3 just so everyone knows why would it not uh, i mean i think the notion would be it's the fact that they're uh that there's failure rate or is probably slightly lower per chiplet uh is pr lower per chiplet because you know you're distributing that potential area error across three chiplets instead of one, but but they're keeping the i nine twelve nine hundred ks that boosts to what five point five gigahertz mm -hmm. in stock. I think the yields are pretty good on ten nanometer now, guys. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, so 
No, I, I, I just thought that was very curious, the amount of people. Like, it couldn't be cheaper. It's cheaper because it's smaller, guys. <laughs> That's not necessarily mm-hmm. better, but this is where monolithic designs make sense. When you're below 500 millimeters squared and you're getting good yields, yeah, this 24 core will be cheaper to make probably than a Genoa 32 core, which is probably the smallest they go down to for Threadripper uh, for Genoa. Um, and that'll be pretty good for a quote-unquote poor man's HEDT. <laughs> yeah, a poor man's 32-core HEDT. And again, guys, Navi 33 is monolithic because it's cheaper at that size to just make Navi 33 monolithic instead of 3D stacking it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. What do you think about Fishhawk Falls? So there, there's something curious to me. Like, Is the uh, reason they want uh, both Intel and AMD are kind of have this drive to kill HEDT because it's just another platform they need to support or that's definitely part of it. I think. Um, and I think they see no point Uh, again. I, this really needs to be pointed out when Intel was launching a decade of quad cores, their server chips were up to like 22 cores or more depending on the year. It was like 16, then 18, then 20, then 22 or something, you know? So if you think about Broadwell, so they had, I think they had 22 core Broadwells and for mm-hmm. Xeon, and then they had quad core Broadwells. Yeah, they gave There's you 10 golf. cores because that's not even half of what they could give you. That is firmly in the middle. That makes sense. That's when HEDT made sense. And then AMD brought out Threadripper because it cost them very little to launch that platform. And again, eight cores is nice but there were already people after a decade of just four cores going i i want more than eight and so they did that because they had an opportunity to really give intel a black eye but at this point their desktop goes up to 16 cores and supports like 10 ssds and like 128 gigabytes of ram even some x570 platforms have support for ecc memory so why is 64 cores really HEDT? It's just server, but they're selling it for less for some reason. Uh, I guess that's true. And if they can, yeah, if they can keep delivering a, a large number of PCIe lanes or keep expanding the number of PCIe lanes there in the mainstream desktop, I guess I could see them just completely eliminating like Threadripper at a certain point. But well, at least Threadripper non pro. And, and that's another thing yeah, to yeah. point out as well. Like Intel was only giving you like 16 PCIe lanes. Interestingly enough, a uh, bulldozer and pile driver actually gave you 32 PCIe lanes, which mm-hmm. was awesome. But since then, these companies give you like 16 to 24 PCIe lanes. So yeah, giving you 64 would be nice. Or like when the, when the Broadwell E gave you 28 3.0 or or even more than 28 i believe it went up to like 44 depending on the sku there was a, a move for that but otherwise it's like i think that's why they're killing it off because they don't see a point but now i'm not so sure they will anymore you know because i do know 96 core threadripper is coming which i thought it was funny video cards is article based on this leak i did was Moore's Law is dead confirms 96 core threadripper and i'm like is that news it's just epic dude <laughs> with a different name yeah i mean I guess there's I guess they could just keep it at 64 cores but we already know 96 is coming. <laughs> I don't think that's a shocker uh, unless I I guess the argument is they would want to keep Threadripper somewhat differentiated from Epic which it's to an extent it's not but yeah exactly and 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 that's why up until now they've only brought out a Zen 3 Threadripper Pro cuz they just don't see the point in launching anything for standard Threadripper. I mean, when Intel's not competing with them at all, and when they're like, 
I mean, again, guys, remember, HDT processors used to be $1,000. Then Intel went crazy with Broadwelly and charged $1,700. Now AMD's charging five grand for Threadrippers? Is that really the price of an HDT? These are workstation. I would argue it's yeah. already just workstation. Like one of my Intel sources I talked to about Threadripper, and he's like, first of all, I know they call Threadripper HDT, but in my books, a 64 PCIe lane, 64 core setup is a workstation in name like this is yeah <laughs> because i i mean I, I part of me wonders like just the like 112 pcie lanes i i just don't even know how you could use all of those but um a lot of adding cards for like ver like the oh, true. ssds yeah. a sound card and like just different types of compute and like networking cards you could put in there like some of these big like eatx systems have like five cards in there like that's when you do that although again 1632 48 yeah i still 64 is probably enough for most but i, I guess 64 you could but start then you have nvme maybe. yeah you're prop you might be brushing it up against it for certain uses at 64 mm-hmm um, Brett Summers writes in and he says, in regards to your Fishhawk Falls HEDT slash uh, mainstream workstation leak for 24 big cores for gamers and creators, it got me thinking, do you think AMD will respond with a, the rumored 24 core Zen 4 variant for consumer AM5? Or do you think their response would be purely aimed at the HEDT mainstream workstation platform only? Uh, I would say anything's possible, but re remember... Like, even if Intel is planning to compete with a 24-core Zen 4, which they are. Internally, Intel's like, we should just assume they're going to have that. Um, all info I get is that AMD's focusing on just 16 cores again with maximum IPC and clock speeds, which I think is the right choice. Now, of course, they could still launch a 32-core Zen 4C uh, as an option, which I think is the better option than trying to get 24 cores. I think just take the ccd's bergamo uses and put 32 cores in there because if you want more than 16 i'd figure you want the most you can get you know mm -hmm. but um as far as i can tell what amd is likely to do is just keep it to 16 cores maybe have a special edition higher core count for am5 at some point and well i say at some point i mean zen 4 am5 at some point because obviously zen 5 will go above that um and then just bring out Threadripper when they need to. I, I think that's what the logical thing for them to do would be. Yeah, because I, I, I suppose I don't know what the 24 core will end up costing, but I imagine it's not going to be cheap. So I don't know. For, I don't for, know from Intel. Yeah. Well, uh, people point this out too. I, I'm not saying I think it's going to be five thousand dollars, but I, I think it's still no. going to be like in the two, like one to two grand range, right? I think one to two grand, uh, because the 10980XE was an 18 core they sold for a thousand. Yeah. So who's to say they don't sell a 24 core for 1200 or 1500? I think it's very likely they do. And with it being clocked so much faster than Threadripper, I think it competes with a 32 core Threadripper. Frankly, they need to. They need to make a splash in the space. And again, it, if they're charging, if they were charging a thousand dollars for Cascade Lake X, that was 18 cores. I don't see why they wouldn't just charge fifteen hundred for the twenty-four core. Now the real question for me is what they charge for the fifty-six core Sapphire Rapids. That thing mm -hmm. looks crazy expensive to make. It has all of these extra like AI accelerators on the tiles too. I don't know. When I look at that, I go, are they actually going to try to compete directly with Threadripper? Because I don't know what AMD is going to price Zen Four Threadripper at. But if they're charging five thousand dollars for a sixty-four core, I think it's conceivable 
they charge at least 6000 for 96 cores. Mm-hmm. And they do like, you know, 4000 for 64, 3000 for 32, 2000 for 20. Actually, I think they'll start at 32. But maybe not. Maybe they just put 96 cores at 5000. That'd be crazy. I don't think they're going to, though. So then what does Intel do? Do they charge 5000 for their 56 core? They could. It'd be justified. Or do they charge like 3500 and say, hey, you can get 96 cores from them for six, seven grand. Guess what? Two of ours together cost a pretty <laughs> similar amount. Now you get 112 yeah. cores. You know, that's the real question for me. Now, of course, they'd also go, and yes, we're using double the energy because you have two sockets. But <laughs> still, <laughs> I-, I would like to see them try to brute force their way into making sure AMD can't charge 8,000 for 96 cores. Because if Intel's a little aggressive, then they're like, all right, we can't milk too much. Elusivity writes in and he says, do you have any details on B650 and the X670 slash 690 chipset IO that you can share aside from as media making them and the 670 or maybe 690, I don't know, being a pairing of two B650s on the same package or across the motherboard? From the Gigabyte leak, Raphael comes in with 20 PCIe lanes, which I think, yeah, sounds about right, two times USB 4 uh, and... 28 times PCIe total with no USB 4 for a Type 1 and 2, respectively. But is there anything you know and can share about the total number of additional PCIe lanes like an USB 4 and 3 Pro hanging off of the B650 chipset itself? I'm getting the feeling that the beefy PCIe layout on the high-end chiplet, coupled with DDR5 bandwidth and increased IPC from 16 or 24 cores and 4, would effectively invalidate the reason for having a mainstream Threadripper. Yeah, I would say look up whatever executable fix leaked a year ago, because I know 100% the documents and stuff he showed are legit. You know, I -hmm. eventually saw those same documents myself, so I'd look at that. But I would say that if they're going to, like, double that, then I think you're looking at, in total, like, 40 PCIe lanes for the top configuration anyways. Uh, Yes, I I don't see why they need to make Threadripper anything but workstation-only moving forward with that type of an offering. I mean... Yeah, I know I wouldn't get Threadripper over that, especially if they launched a 24 core or something. I'm sorry, like that's what I go with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I guess you're the type of person that this would be advertised to. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it kind of just seems like the consumer Threadripper is a vanishingly small market with uh, something like this on the market. But or, at least now the top of the consumer line is becoming HEDT like. Yeah, exactly. Which I think when it comes to gamer creators, HEDT like is all they ever wanted. Most of these people did not need the top 10 core Broadwell E with like 40 or something PCIe lanes. They were like, can I just have more than 16? Can I have a few extra cores, a few more, a little extra memory, a few extra SSDs? I think we're going to get this covered in Raphael, anyways. Mm hmm. And Imelid writes in, I don't know how to say your name there, my friend. He goes, hi, Tom. Regarding your latest HEDT video, do you have any timeline for when we can possibly expect Zen 4 Threadripper? Yes, I leaked the Threadripper roadmap a year ago. AMD was planning for quarter to 2023. However, technically, they could launch a Zen 4 Threadripper quarter four if they wanted to. So it's up to them, but their original target was quarter two of next year. So I, I would definitely expect, you know, expect Fishhawk Falls by quarter four, expect a Zen 4 Threadripper by quarter two next year if you're planning ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Spamthem Neo writes in, given how many delays Intel has had in the past year, Sapphire Rapids, Arc, Pontevecchio, Arc again. <laughs> Have you heard anything about their node progress? Do you think they could actually hit their early 2024 product at 20 angstrom and later that same year to 18 angstrom? I don't want to get too excited for how fast they can catch up, but I get less and less confident in them as time goes on. Well, I think Intel's four, Intel four, what they're calling Intel four, they're kind of four nanometer competitor. I think that is going to be ready next year. Okay. But then that's 2023. Do I think they're going to catch up with 18 angstrom one year later? No, I don't. I can't promise you they won't, but if you put a gun up to my head right now, I go, no, I don't think they will. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think Intel still has an issue with uh, delivering what they say they're going to deliver when they Executing. say they're going to deliver it. Yeah, like that, that's been an issue at Intel since Zen has came, been a thing pretty much. Um, and I think all their like gives us a glimpse into like that might start changing. But at the end of the day, that's still one big that's one really well executed product launch. Mm-hmm. And that's also while they're doing whatever they're doing with Arc. Yeah. So again, it's like I see the roadmap. Seems like their four nanometers going fine, but no, I, I'd have to see it to believe it for them to leapfrog TSMC in under two years from now, I, or, mm-hmm. or I guess just two years from now. I, I, I just find it unlikely. We'll see though. TSMC's having issues now. Spirit Song writes in, "Hi Tom. One YouTuber today by the name of UFD Tech made a video in which he linked an article from Seeking Alpha, which is some investment. I'm aware of both Seeking Alpha and UFD Tech. Don't need to explain." <laughs> he goes, "What is interesting is, according to the writer of that Seeking Alpha article, he claims that he has been observing the woes of TSMC's efforts in shrinking beyond five nanometer, and claims that TSMC has issues that are worse than what plagued Intel's ten nanometer issues." I haven't heard that. Does and Intel is on track to have the node advantage over TSMC, or even already surpassing TSMC soon? How true is this in your opinion? And do you think TSMC can quickly rectify their node shrinking woes? I don't have a crystal ball. You know, I, I think it's when you look at Intel's ten nanometer woes. People went from expecting ten nanometer to be ready in 2017 to thinking it would never come out, to now it's producing 5.5 gigahertz processors. <laughs> So once it's either working or it's not, and once it's working, it's really working typically. So one thing I would say is I think a lot of people who have sources at one company tend to vastly underestimate their competitor because they don't have sources at the other company. I think you see a lot of this in like YouTube leaking channels that for some absurd reason only seem to have AMD leaks, and then they seem to always overestimate AMD because they have no clue what Intel and NVIDIA are working on. (laughs) And I would just... I don't know this guy, this the seeking alpha thing. I don't know. Uh-huh. So I, I I can't judge what other sources he has. I'm completely just putting this idea out there just because I think it's worth mentioning. If he has a bunch of sources at Intel saying this is what's going on, does he also have those at TSMC to be sure of this? Or is he just like, oh, I'm confident in Intel and I'm that's but I don't really know what's going on with TSMC. You know, obviously he seems to have heard a few things. From this, what from what I I've hold I've heard for like a year now, haven't I? Dan, I've been saying TSMC three nanometer seems to be having issues. Yeah, like, and then Daniel yeah. Nenny's confirmed that multiple times. Um, I've never heard anything like this though. It, TSMC is inevitably going to run into issues. I don't think you or I have ever discussed they're having issues to the extent that uh, Intel had issues with ten nanometer, but 
you know, there's going to be a point where TSMC slows down and Intel actually catches up, I think. I don't know if they'll outright leapfrog them, but three nanometer might be that point, yeah. Yeah. So where they I, catch up. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ring the alarm bells that this is as bad as ten nanometer just yet. And five nanometer came pretty quick after seven. So <laughs> yeah. let's just see. Flame writes in and he says, Hello, Tom. Yesterday, listening to Broken Silicon episode 151, you were discussing CPU single core efficiency. This prompted me to do some digging, and I came across a relatively recent graph showing the performance gain over the last 16 years. What I like as far as input from you is really to talk about the curve of improvement. How underrated is a and big is AMD Zen? They caught up to nine years of Intel gains in just three releases. And to follow up with a question, do you see a point in the future where we see more of these linear 5% boosts? This is usually a good time to upgrade, as in 2017, you could probably make the case that the i7-2600K wasn't actually outdated five years later. Or is, would that be... It's actually like six years later. He says, and or is it even more than that? He says, thank you. Love the content. Have a good one to all watching or reading. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the chart here. So your real question is, is Zen underrated? Yes. I've always thought it was. It's like even when they weren't winning in gaming, I was like going, guys, they're losing by like 20% with Double the cores using the same energy. This is nuts. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny because it's like, it, it, it's like how people say Ampere is better than RDNA 2 on average. Well, they're mostly looking at 4K performance in 1080p. It's a clean sweep with RDNA 2 pretty much over Ampere. I've actually found, uh, I will say that in 1080, you know, we, I just talked about how I uh, tested the 6700 XT against the 3070 again. Yes, the 3070 wins pretty handily by like 10% or so in 4K compared to a 6700 XT. But in 1080p, there are a couple games where the 6700 XT blows the 3070 away. So I would say that was a similar situation with like Zen 1. I found it so hilarious how people were like, well, AMD's still behind Intel. It's like, yeah, like one application. Let's look at another one. I, I do think Zen 1 and, and Zen Plus, for that matter, are grossly underrated. Oh, yeah, especially Zen 1. Zen 2, I think, or... Zen Plus, I think the perceptions were starting to change, but it was still kind of a see. It was still kind of seen as like, oh, it looks like uh, AMD is on the rise, but I'm still going to get an Intel CPU at the end of the day. <laughs> I think the most impressive thing about Zen Plus was they managed to increase performance by like seven percent year over year right away, and everyone mm -hmm. thought Zen One was just going to be this blip. And it's like, no, Intel brings five percent increases. AMD just did seven with like a half increase of architecture, not even a full. Yeah, I mean, I think when you move to a completely new paradigm, you can expect there is going to be big changes for the next several years. Like, Pile Driver was like 25% better than Bulldozer. Yeah, it was just. <laughs> Bulldozer was Starting just from worse a pretty than. Pretty low a... level. <laughs> yeah. Bulldozer was just worse than Phenom. <laughs> real low hanging fruit to fix. Like, you know, they just walked around like, hey, half this fruit's rotten. <laughs> <laughs> but uh sorry i think i derailed your train of thought what were you saying oh no i didn't have much more to say to that just there was a perception with zen one and two i think that amd was still the bargain more of the bargain brand even though they were a, a re resurgent bargain brand and then by zen two i think it was like 40 60 people saying amd was better versus people saying intel was in a better spot 
And mm. by Zen 3, I think it's just... I, I, I think, at least in people that talk about it online, the uh, mentality has completely flipped. Yeah, to the point that we almost wonder if AMD is being given too much too much credit. Of the doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to answer your question, do I see a few years coming up with 5% boost? Absolutely not. Uh, Zen 4 is going to be maybe not a Zen 2 moment, but certainly bigger than Zen 3. It's going to be a bigger than Zen 3 moment. So in between, because remember, Zen 2 doubled core counts and increased single-threaded performance by like 20%. That was just crazy. <laughs> Here, it's like a 0 to 50% core count increase and probably a 20 to 50% single-threaded increase. So we're in between. and But I think Zen 5 is going to be maybe comparable to Zen 2 again. So that's just gen over gen. I mean, Zen 5 is going to be like... I don't know. What does that make it then? Like three times better, four times better than Zen uh, 3. And I don't think Zen 6, I've already started leaking early details of Zen 6, doesn't sound like a slouch. And I know that Raptor Lake is going to be at least like 30%, 40% better than Alder Lake, depending on the metrics. Some metrics will be 10 to 15%, but you know, I think overall 30% better. And then you're going to look at Meteor Lake probably be 20 to 40% better than that. And then Arrow Lake probably be about 40% better than that. From both companies, everything I see is we're looking at well above double-digit gains every <laughs> year and a half. And if that, I just mentioned like three generations, so that's like four or five years from now. So no, I, I think moving forward, upgrade when you need to. Or when it becomes hilarious to not upgrade. Because it's yeah. almost getting to that point for some of, uh, some of my friends right now who have like a Broadwell system or something. Um, where you have like the oh, little yeah, cores yeah. on Alder Lake stronger than the... <laughs> 10 broadwell e-cores he has or something <laughs> you know so like when it, like but uh, before it becomes absurd or you actually need it everything coming is just going to be hilariously better uh i i don't see things and i don't know what that comes after zen 6 i i don't see anything slowing because yeah and then right around zen 6 is when we're getting like lunar lake and another lake i'm aware of that comes after that that i haven't leaked yet i i don't think i think we're good we're good till like 2026 2027 guys <laughs> Today's video is brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. Now that I've got my compact Alder Lake benchmarking system done, I am free to test a lot of graphics cards in both Windows 10 and Windows 11. And I always get those keys from CDKeyOffer.com. That's because it's a reliable, long-term sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead that gets you reasonable prices on legitimate keys for these types of products but it's really not all that they offer they also can give you keys for microsoft office uh keys for playstation codes and even some of the latest pc releases like elden ring and they even carry gaming peripherals in chairs now whatever you need cd key offer probably has you covered and they're always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible and that's the ones provided for the moore's law is dead fans moore's law is dead fans get the biggest discount and if you Go to the link on screen or in the description. You can use code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Microsoft products and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. Using these codes really does help Moore's Law is Dead, and it helps you play reasonable prices for games that you want in keys that, frankly, you just have to use half of the time. So, again, use the link in the description. Use Broken Silicon. Use DieString depending on the products you're getting, and pay reasonable prices for keys today at CDKeyOffer.com. Dot com. Uh, but speaking of those future architectures, let us talk a little bit about one of them in story number seven. 
Zen 6 Venice early details leak. On April 29th, I decided to spice up the end-of-month live stream by leaking early Zen 6 epic details. In summary, Venice is the codename for Zen 6 epic coming after Zen 5 Turin. It will bring more it will bring core counts conservatively well above 200 cores with room for 384 or 500 cores, honestly. A complete redesign of the L2 and L3 cache systems that is in Zen 4 and Zen 5. And HBM being heavily featured as core to the design. Current launch target is end of 2024 for select customers or early 2025. There you go, Dan. Zen 6. Venice, baby. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> honestly, these core count, that's a, such a high core count. I don't even know really what to think of that. Like, oh, <laughs> that, that's certainly a lot of cores. <laughs> I know. Then you wonder if there's going to be like a Zen. Although right now I can't confirm any Zen 6, C or D. I, I think they might just move into an entirely different paradigm by then. So who knows what they'll do if they do like an all little core architecture, like Intel Sierra Forest. Mm-hmm. but um yeah i don't know it's just uh it's just exciting i know enough information to know that zen 6 is at least as big of a deal as zen 3 was you know zen 6 over zen 5 so again to answer the previous question guys this is nothing's going away here <laughs> in terms of massive gains every year and a half i mean do you have anything else to add about this one no not too much more just good to know Good, good to know the uh, the more cores uh, revolution isn't stopping for at least another, what would this be then, four years, I guess? Well, yeah, when I started hearing some updated information recently, which I haven't leaked yet about like Turin and where the core counts could already go, I'm like, when does this stop? Are we really going to like a thousand cores with Zen 7 or Zen 6 or something? Like, when does this stop? <laughs> like, when is <laughs> when does the customer say, hey... When we said we could keep scaling this software with as many cords as you throw at us, I guess that was a bit of hyperbole. It isn't scaling past 800 cords or something, you know? When does that happen? But everyone I asked says maybe around 1,000, but it's hard to say that there are just some applications that can really, really benefit from ramping it up that much. Mm -hmm. um, I am Patty Cakes writes in, and he says, as an inverse to the latest HDDT video, uh, not really gaming hardware related. I want to say that Intel has already proven that they can get a lot of work done in very little space with e-cores. Has there been any word if they're going to double down on e-cores in the server at some point? ARM is already starting to eat some of the server market with Ampere and AWS Graviton, just using the silicon more efficiently and not building things that rarely get used in their workloads like AVX 512. Do you see Intel having something like a 4P plus 128E? core monstrosity at some point for Xeon, or is that just wishful thinking? Well, I think you're lowballing what it would be. It'd probably be like 8P plus like 800, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. 96E or some craziness. Uh, I, I, I've heard of some designs that have stuff like this, uh, but it's a little disputed among some of my sources when they might try something like that. And for the foreseeable future, it sounds like they're going, at least in server, probably with all big or all little. Sierra Forest, all little. Um, and then, or at least almost all little, although I think it is all little. And then, you know, like Granite Rapids, just a ton of big cores. At least right now, the reason they would do that is this isn't a consumer platform. Like, this isn't like a consumer 
oh, now I'm running this app in the background while gaming. This is a professional platform that always needs all big cores or always can use all little cores. That's why you'd focus on one or the other, probably. And the answer is yes, they are, though. <laughs> all right, then. Let us move on to the wrap-up. These are the stories that didn't get to become their own stories but are definitely mentionables, which for the first time in, what, Dan, like two few news episodes, we actually have more than like one to five <laughs> things. The wrap-up's yeah. a bit boring, but I guess this is a pretty big episode, actually, for this cycle. RX 6400 is out, Dan, and it's 100% locked from overclocking. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. You can't overclock any. It's completely locked down. I mean that's unfortunate. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I guess maybe you could, could overclock, overclock this to it. a sixty-five hundred XT. But <laughs> yeah, I think you could because the, it has the, the good same old... bus and it has yeah. maybe it has twenty-five percent less compute units, but it uses like fifty watts. There's no doubt you could have clocked that to like three gigahertz and nearly like been ninety percent of sixty-five hundred XT for twenty percent less while not needing a P. I, I I think it's stupid though. Then then that's what the sixty-five hundred XT should have been or. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the days where uh, you could overclock your card to two tiers above <laughs> what, what you bought it for is uh, it hasn't been around for a while. I, I don't like locking out overclocking completely, though. Yeah, I have well. nothing to say except for not a fan of this happening. Um, NVIDIA H100 priced at over $30,000 per card. In Japan, now, obviously, we don't know if this is a fit. This is going to be what the official pricing becomes, but yeah, can kind of I mean, believe it. What this is a thing like what a research lab buys one of, and yeah, it, 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 when you're talking about stuff like that versus consumer stuff, it's it, it's a, such a completely different calculation. That like, yeah, thirty thousand sounds in line with what you would expect for Hopper. You know, this did remind me, though. Obviously, this is a really expensive product with an insane board. I mean, technically, it has two dies on the board. I think they, like, have a mm. separate die for video output or something on there. Uh, I hope I'm not misquoting that, but if you look at the picture. <laughs> um, so the H100 can just do compute stuff while another die can handle other things. So that's why it's so expensive on the one hand. But on the other hand, a lot of it is that it's, like, an insanely pushed, hard to cool four nanometer thing. One thing I forgot to mention about that Lovelace discussion we had is, I just want to be clear, what would change my mind about where Lovelace's performance could go is if it turned out it had like an 800 millimeter squared die. Then I go, oh, wow. Of course, that'd be a bigger die than Hopper. Find that unlikely. But that would change my calculus a bit. Having said that, guys, you know how expensive 800 millimeter squared a four nanometer is going to be? It's like three, $400 in silicon alone. <sighs> Let me move on here. Intel node density confirmed. So, yeah. So, Intel 4 brings double the node density of Intel 7. Oh, that is exciting. I mean, the... Yeah, the, the dumb brain math is like, well, that's about in line. I mean... I guess to put a feather in the cap of mm -hmm. a previous comment here, though... It is worth mentioning that Intel 4's density will be competitive, if not slightly better than TSMC 5 nanometer. So 4 nanometer, of course, by then, their 4 nanometer will be out, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but I guess you could argue if Intel 4 works perfectly and comes out on time early next year, 
that it is actually almost caught up to TSMC's four nanometer. So they're getting close mm-hmm. then. Yeah, and if TSMC does have an issue on three nanometer, eh, maybe maybe Intel will. But I don't see uh, them really beating TSMC so much as Tyne. Yeah, I, or if they do end up pulling ahead of TSMC, it's not going to be. It's not going to be like the advantage TSMC had against Intel a couple years ago. Yeah. All right. So here we have Zen 3 announced for Chromebooks. Woo. I mean, I don't know what to tell you guys. It's just Saison, as far as I can see here with Vega and Zen 3. <laughs> this is not any other rumored die. This is, I, I actually, I don't know really what to say about this. <laughs> not much. <laughs> Uh, moving forward. Oh, NVIDIA only paying $5.5 million for lying about the income from crypto sales. A lot of takes on this were just... I'm sure yep. people thought this was a perfectly reasonable amount, right, Tom? Yeah, everyone's like, this is pocket <laughs> change compared to the money they made lying to investors about where their income was coming from. When stuff like this is proven the, about like lying to investors, maybe the punishment shouldn't be, I don't know, orders of magnitude less than what they made off of it. Yeah, just to be clear here, if they sold an extra million cards, they had to pay an extra six. They paid six bucks per card lot from this lie, <laughs> which they sold more than an extra million. So this is this is nothing. This was just cost of doing business. Well, here. graphics cards famously cost $5.5. <laughs> yeah, so this is double, right? Yeah. Uh, Digitime reports that Z4 could launch in quarter three next to Raptor Lake. So I don't have much to say about that, except that that's always been within the time frame of expectations. Um, that's exciting if that mm-hmm. happens. And again, I my understanding is Zen 4 was always planning to come out by quarter four, but that they could almost launch it now if they actually wanted to. It's just they want DDR5 to be ready, but maybe they'll pull it up even more. When I say ready, the R5 price is to be much lower. Um, but it'd be interesting if they just pulled it up even more. Just so they can say they're out before Raptor Lake, which might be mm-hmm. wise. Alder Lake HX spe- specs leak out. I really don't have much to say to here uh, on this one. You know, the they've got the i9 12900 and 950 HX. This is again putting desktop Alder Lake into a smaller SOC for laptops. I mean, what are we looking at here? 16 cores at 5 gigahertz with base clocks of 2.3 gigahertz because it's a mobile variant. Mm-hmm. I will say the one weird thing here is the i5. 12450 HX. So four big core, four little core, calling it hmm. an i5. That's kind of odd. Hmm. Well, what what do you mean? Do you think that should be called an i3? I don't know. No, no. Why is it less than some? I don't know. I just find that interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a, do it's they a really need one. to cut this down that much? I bet they don't make a lot of those. And then let's see, Intel buys Siri, a Finnish graphics IP competitor. I don't have much to add to that, except this is another example of, I do not believe Intel is going to just cancel Alchemist and walk away. They clearly are in it for the long run. <laughs> yeah. as even if their feet get bloody running in this long run to make <laughs> Intel graphics work well or be competitive. It might be a long road, but I, I see all evidence they're just building for a long fight long term. Uh, Intel confirmed Meteor Lake had powered on, which I thought was funny because I had already known two weeks ago they had powered on desktop Meteor Lake. And I did add that clarification on Twitter um, because Intel already announced Meteor Lake had powered on. I just want to be clear. 
Intel has now powered on desktop Meteor Lake, guys. And and this was so surprising to some people on Twitter that followed me because they're like, some websites were like, wait, I thought Meteor Lake is mobile only. No, guys. Meteor Lake is a full generation launching less than a year after Raptor Lake to desktop with much higher IPC than Raptor Cove. It's going to be exciting. And it's on schedule, like I keep saying. LHR is fully bypassed by NiceHash. So I want to be clear about that. You don't have to download some weird thing. This is like a default mining program. Now 100% goes around LHR for NVIDIA graphics cards mining. So that LHR is gone. Is I don't know if I've heard of... Is NiceHash a... Uh, yeah, that's like the most ether. popular one. Uh, okay. No surprise. People, miners are going to figure out how to make their money. Yeah. And a question people ask me from time to time that I don't know the answer to is, will Lovelace have LHR? Mm. I don't know. Does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> Activision shareholders greenlight active, uh, acquisition uh, by Microsoft. FTC investigation is starting to sound more and more serious. I don't know if you have anything to talk about on this really, Dan, but it does sound like that FTC inquiry into Microsoft buying Activision is becoming more and more like it might be blocked. I mean, I've, I, I haven't read any, uh, like, new info or anything that i haven't talked about with you previously or it just seems like the ftc is serious uh to go into the final one as well they're also uh investigating the sony acquisition of bungie seems mm-hmm. like the ftc is just getting somewhat serious about monopolistic practices in the gaming industry in general i i i think the microsoft one would be the more likely one to oh, get a blocked but it would be interesting if both of them got blocked yeah i've got to say i don't i i I, we already talked about this a lot when the the news of uh when when the news first came out of microsoft buying activision then sony buying bungie i just do not understand the people cheering for these types of stories it's like yay more control over (laughs) consumers yay consolidation from where I'm sitting, block all of it. I'm sick of these companies <laughs> becoming bigger. Everything. Block every acquisition. That is like these people just, uh, we like what was it like in the show 30 Rock? Like there was like, what was it like Heinz? Uh, like some, so, what is, uh, Hal, Heinz Halliburton is a sensible acquisition, <laughs> a sensible merging <laughs> that yeah. allows synergy between ketchup and military contracts. <laughs> It's just like, this is just getting, this isn't that crazy, of course, but it's just like, do we really need a few entities to own everything? Um, Yes, we do. I mean, the only thing I'll say is I do legitimately hope like Sony buys like Konami or something because someone else needs to run that company and they have a lineage with that stuff. But besides things like that, I really just hope a lot of this gets blocked because I am tired of this consolidation. It could lead to a very scary overpriced world of like just ridiculous $200 per year required cable packages to play half of the games. It just, it would suck. Yeah. I mean, yes. (laughs) Once again, we've talked about this before. Nothing good is going to happen to you for any of these acquisitions happening. It at best doesn't affect you. Yeah. And at worst takes things away from other people or allows a company to jack up prices on something or have more control it's just it's not a net gain for the community guys yeah um 
Let us move on, though. That is the rather lengthy wrap-up section compared to at least the previous few news episodes. Let us now get to the final reader mails. MCH writes in, On your point on SSD I.O. unit changing rendering... Not sure what that means. He says, here's something NX Gamer said on modulation in his Unreal Engine 5 demo video around the 1850 mark. He said, on modulation, PCs are just going to have to brute force it. So you're going to see a bigger demand on VRAM, just like we did last generation when I told everyone before it started, do not buy two gigabyte cards. Eight gigabyte cards are not going to cut it this generation. Potentially 12 won't. And And know that you're going to look at 16 gigabytes as a minimum soon as it's unlikely that PCs will get standardized custom hardware for I.O. processing like the consoles have. Do you expect VRAM requirements to raise sharply as developers try to brute force it on PC like NX Gamer suggested here? Um, <clears throat> so I put a lot of thought into this question, uh, actually. And here's, here's what I'll say. Right now, I have no trouble running 4K, even with ultra textures, on my 8 gigabyte 3070 and the overwhelming majority of games. I'd say 10% of the games I play require turning down textures, um, and almost none of them require a lower resolution that's noticeable. And I paid $600 over a year ago for this. I'm happy. Now, what happens near the end of this gen? We're going to have to see. But, you know, let's say four years from now, I'm not going to be mad if I, for some reason, still have my 3070 and I can't run 4K Ultra. I won't be mad if that happens two years from now. This was a mid-range card from 2020. Why four years later would I be mad I have to turn down some settings? I I won't. I'll probably have upgraded by then, and I'll have saved money by not buying a useless 3090 that didn't need 24 gigabytes of RAM. Um, I think 10 gigabytes was an issue if you're spending like $1,000, like a lot of people did for a 3080. (sighs) But you know... You, you you get what you pay for, and I don't know. Let's just say someone, and, and then I think anyone who buys a 3070 after this, they're going to be like used ones in a year from now on eBay for 250 just like 1070s became that price. So I don't know. I, I, I just also point out that the Xbox Series S has 10 gigabytes of RAM total. So brute forcing VRAM would be an 8 gigabyte card compared to a console almost only having that much total. So... And I assume if you pay like $250 for an 8 gigabyte 3070, you're okay with 1080p. I don't know. I don't expect VRAM requirements to raise sharply. Anyways, too, after this year, 8 gigabyte is definitely for 1440p or lower. But I don't know. I think eventually, yes, devs will require 16 gigabyte GPUs and 32 gigabytes of DDDR5. But that's that alone there, 16 plus 32 is three times the RAM of the consoles. I think that's brute force right there. I, I don't think 16 gigabytes is going to be like a minimum anytime soon. I just, I just don't. And, and again, even the games that require that, that's going to only be the games that make full use of like, presumably we haven't, we don't have proof of it yet besides kind of Ratchet and Clank. That may, that the only games that make full use of PS5 level asset streaming will require this anyways. Most games won't. Most games right now I play, guys, can fit all of 4K and 6 gigabytes, let alone 8. Like 55% of games don't even need 8 gigabytes, actually. The idea that they're going to ha- have to brute force IO by using the GPU's RAM, I think probably will happen to, to some extent. I mean, if it needs to use the GPU's RAM to. <laughs> to stream assets onto it 
uh, successfully, uh, or do have that IO successfully, then yeah, they're going to need to increase RAM usage. But on the other end of that coin, I mean, on the other side of that coin, I don't think game devs are going to suddenly switch to, uh, I mean, start having requirements for people that, that uh, I mean, that are going to have start, start having requirements that 90% of systems don't fulfill because that would be stupid of them to do so. So maybe once we get to like mid-generation to late-generation, maybe you'll start seeing 12 or 16 gig requirements, but I don't think you'll see that in 2024. Maybe 2025. Not for 1080p. Not for not definitely not for 1080p. For like 4K, maybe maybe 12 gigabytes for 1440p or something. Yeah, and I think you have to remember that in the Unreal Engine 5 demos that have been shown off, they're very clear that like the more RAM, the faster SSD you have, the better you can do the asset streaming. And if you're in 1080p, the assets you stream in don't need to be as high of quality because you cannot tell the difference if you don't have four times the pixels to see the difference between the textures. So I think, again, I think the example I give holds true. The Xbox Series S has 10 gigabytes total. The PS5 is 16 gigabytes total. If you have an 8 gigabyte graphics card and 16 gigabytes of RAM, you have 50% more RAM than the PS4 and over double the Xbox Series S. That's probably <laughs> enough to brute force asset streaming at 1080p. And any card with 8 gigabytes is probably going to be a 1080p card in a couple of years for sure. Not right now, but for sure in a couple of years. I don't think there's much to complain about that. If you have a card that is only 6 gigabytes in two years, well, what's going to happen is they'll just you'll get a lower frame rate or the the streamed-in assets won't look as good. But you presumably have what, then, in two years? A $150 A380? Or, like, are you really mm -hmm. complaining that you can't turn up the settings? I don't know. And in terms of, like, how much brute force will be required, I'm sorry, if you have 32 gigabytes plus 16, that's 48, that's, you know, triple the RAM of a PS5, that should be enough to kind of brute force a game. Most games are less than 40 gigabytes. So 16 yeah. gigs of VRAM... I don't know. I don't think, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see that being a big thing in the short term. And again, it would only be for games that do that kind of asset streaming in the most aggressive ways. Um, Brett Summers writes in, he says, hello, Tom and Daniel. Doesn't sound right when I use your full first name, does it? What do you think, Dan? Well, I don't go by Daniel, so it doesn't, doesn't sound, sound right. right to me. No. We don't appreciate that, Brett. But he says, hope you guys are doing well. I was just wondering if you had any information on how the market for DDDR5 is, will be looking around Zen 4 or Raptor Lake's launch. I was planning on building a Zen 4 build and a 5200 megahertz kit right now where I live is 280 to 320 Canadian dollars. These aren't blisteringly fast kits either, but man, a 5600 or 6000 megahertz one costs roughly 380 to $480 Canadian. That's insane for 32 gigabytes. Yeah, it's a lot. Do you see these going down around that time? Any of your sources indicate this would be the case? I remember you saying do-it-yourself is getting scalped here compared to OEMs buying DDR5. You are, uh, right? I talked to multiple OEMs and even some system integrators. OEMs pay 10 to like 15% more per gigabyte for DDR5 over DDR4. And even system integrators seem to pay about 25 to 35% more. So <laughs> that's like... That's people who sell thousands of computers a month, not millions, and they're only paying like a 20 to 40% markup. <laughs> so what do you think that means it should be? You know, 
I, I think there's no doubt about it. Prices for DDR5 are likely to come down substantially near the end of this year. Will it still be more than DDR4? I think probably this year. I don't think we're near that inflection point yet where actually DDR4 starts to become more expensive because they don't make as much of it. That always happens eventually. Like DDR2 is well, crazy expensive right now. I mean, I have to wonder. I, I, my guess would be most of the RAM being bought in the DIY community right now is still DDR4. So Exactly. I, I think it's probably, and I don't think that's going to change until maybe, maybe next year. I don't know. It, It'll start. You have to think of who's buying new, though. At the end of this year, most true. people buying new will probably want DDR5. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I, the inflection point, or it will start moving towards that inflection point next year, probably. Well, and it can't be forgotten that a lot of this has to do with OEMs, where OEMs are also still mostly doing DDR4, but they will be doing mostly DDR5 at the end of this year. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think near the end of this year, you're going to see prices on DDR5 come down a lot. Um, how much? I don't know. I would guess at the end of this year, DDR5 is going to be like 40% more than DDR4. But, you know, that means that that kit there that's like $320 Canadian, I don't know, it'll It'd probably... Like 250 200 or something instead or probably less than that i don't know it's in canadian funny money so i don't even know what's going on anymore let me see here 320 add to usd is 247 dollars right now so it's like double the price of ddr4 yeah so a 250 dollar kit right now i'm guessing will be like 160 at the end of this year and then next year will It'll probably go down to about 100 and that's where everything's gonna be a nice sweet spot i keep saying i think early next year is gonna be a killer time to build um, you think hundred sound? Do you think a hundred for thirty-two gigs? Or, uh, I mean, I got my thirty-two gigs of DDR4, and it was fast DDR4 for like I don't know, one twenty or something, one thirty or something okay. a few yeah, months I ago. I guess I always just thought it would probably stabilize maybe at like one forty to one sixty for DDR5. It could, but I, this comes from me thinking things have been more inflated for a very long time than most people realize. You have to remember That's true. that. The DDR4 kit I'm using in my benchmarking system for Alder Lake, uh, it's a 3200 megahertz kit that I overclocked at 3600 megahertz. I got it for sixty seven dollars in mm. 2016. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, so I that's got six years ago. Ra and RAM prices are always weird. They kind of they fluctuate. They like fluctuate a, a ton. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, we've been going through a period where RAM's been worth a boatload, and I wouldn't surprise me if early. 2023 after overproduction crashes people going outside mm -hmm. not wanting to game as much we see a similar pricing crash in ram prices that we saw in like 2015 and 2016 I'm not saying it yeah. will happen but yeah if it does why can't ddr5 be the price i paid for ram six years ago <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe um, maybe I'm too optimistic though. Franken Haas writes in, he says, Hi Tom, I wonder if Alder Lake i7s and i9s are more competitive with the 5800 X30 and gaming specifically when disabling the e-cores. This causes a big increase in ring frequency when you disable them from 3.6 gigahertz to 4.6 gigahertz without overclocking on a 12700K, for example, which is typically held back when e-cores are active. This also leaves the same number of P-cores as a 5800 X30 at higher clocks. I guess that the loss of e-cores wouldn't affect performance in gaming to any significant degree in current titles. After your conversation with Max of hardware numbers in the last broken silicon, about 1.1% frame times, I tried this. I tried this. I disabled e-cores on my 12700KF, and it sure feels snappier in Battlefield 2042. 
I wonder if this would reduce the gap on some games where the 5800 XRD has an advantage. And if true, it might suggest that Alder Lake users should consider leaving the e-cores on for general use and disabling them when it's time to game hard. Oh, yeah, man, I... gaming so hard. Thanks for reading. I mean, I don't think it, for most people I would recommend doing that just because that sounds annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I would rather just leave e-cores on or off all the time. Uh, and whichever one gives me the net gain is what I choose to do. Yeah, this reminds me of when I had an i7-4770K in college. And there were like some games, although Haswell really kind of started the perfection of hyper-threading delineation and you know, like when you're running games. But still, like... I remember there were like a few games where the performance was two to five percent better with a four seven seventy K if you disabled hyper threading. But that some games there's a slight loss in performance and also in any of my non gaming apps, there's a big loss. I did like handbrake and stuff and other applications in college. So I, I, I don't know. I would say can you quantify it? Are you sure there's a noticeable difference? If you are, eh, disable them if you want to and you don't use it for anything else. But otherwise, I see it like hyper-threading uh, five years ago. You're probably getting benefits from hyper-threading from time to time. Just leave it on. It doesn't make a difference in realistic frame rates. If it does, maybe turn it off then. Like, it made sense sometimes with Sandy Bridge to do that. But I would advise most people just leave it turned on because it's not going to make a huge difference unless you're trying to game at 300 hertz. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think the takeaway from, uh, from Alder like generally is the E cores don't seem to do that much, but and the P cores are, the reason Alder Lake is so good is just because the P cores are really good, <laughs> but there doesn't seem to be that big, there I, there doesn't seem to be some massive detriment to having the E cores that I can that I've seen anywhere. I would say except a, for in some isolated instances. I would say that it would be fair though for a benchmarking channel to try that out simply because uh -huh. if you look at what intel's charging for their processors they're basically charging p core to p core like they charge 250 for a six core i5 it's like the same as what amd's charging for a 5600x and then you look at the i7 which goes for like 350 yeah they're charging less per p core than the 5800x3d so mm -hmm. even if you were going to do that it's not really priced badly intel's basically giving the e cores away for free <laughs> uh, yeah. QH Freddy writes in Do you think Alder Lake could have trouble with PCIe 5.0 hardware because it releases before any PCIe 5.0 devices were validated on the market? I did look this up to remind myself I guess Zen 2 did have Vega 20 and RDNA 1 out already before their launch. They did have plenty of stuff to test but no, I don't really expect any issues. I mean by the time PCIe 5.0 devices, devices come out anyways, you're going to probably have BIOS updates if there were any yeah. issues. And they have 5.0 things they can do to test it. There are physical requirements for having a slot. That's why you see some even Z690 boards lack PCIe 5.0 because they didn't meet the standard. So there's something there they're testing to make sure it works. So overall, no, I, I don't think there's going to be any issues. Yeah. All right. Well, on that, yeah. That, I think that, that, yeah. On that, yeah, baby. I think that's all we have here damn this was a rather larger episode finally compared to the last few news ones this is a big boy <laughs> hmm? this is a pretty big guy for you i don't like how that sounds that's them quoting the dark knight rises it's a, a pretty big guy for you he says you're a pretty big guy and then bane says for you for you 
It's it's interesting if you say that in a different voice. It sounds like you're talking about something entirely differently, Dan. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, though, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. Remember, if you're listening to this, we cannot do this without our patrons. They got this episode early and ad-free. Um, and they got Die Shrink that just came out as well, looking at a bunch of interesting things just for patrons. Or, you know, you get ad-free audio for Loose Ends, the ability to ask me and guest questions, access to the Discord to discuss this after it comes out with me and the community. Remember, we cannot do this with our patrons. We're really actually stagnating a little bit at about 1,100 patrons. We really want to get to the next level so we can start doing more video episodes and more consistent quality. There's a lot of products I'd like to be able to pay to render before I have official pictures I can share. So remember, can't do this without those guys. And otherwise, just... You know, do what you can. Support our sponsors. Subscribe to Broken Silicon. Give us a review on your podcast app of choice. And tell your friends about us. But otherwise, I think that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, BBC 1600 XT, Big Sexy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Riggleman, Joaquin Hagen, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Saren- Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Dane Galanowski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Maleb, The Boss, Haas, I Love You, Lennon, Jim, Spam G. Spamton, Jonathan, Jeremy So, General Gips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azira, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude, 23.
Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Mark Kelly, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, Martin, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Jeremy Scalen, Sarcastu, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, uh, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Sutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Medjman Oshley, Sammy Malas, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Gross, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Danny Nugent, Arcane 311, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Musho, Mitchell, John Wisink, Delman Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Truey, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Domings, 3DS Boy 08, Al Buma, Norithiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Cole Addict, Henry Shang, Judson N, F7GOS, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D313370, Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nokoela, Hexa Puma, Chrysantine, Jerome Ferriera, Beat 3 Desis, Thomas A. Teff, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cincinnatus, Royce May Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Aria, M-O-R-F-1-U-S, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, J-S-M-M-H, Sandy Garrido Saunderson, David David Eastland, Fire Falcon on YouTube, Andre Jacques, Game and Six Reagan, Jeff Sandler, Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Winstar, Joker, James One Rounder, Raider, Corey, Leonard, and Sammy Moloss. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. And geez, thanks I got through that. I'm falling asleep, everybody. Sorry if I stumbled through some of those. Take care.